All right. Welcome, welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Final Final Podcast here. I am Carter Thompson, your host, and thanks for tuning in once again. Great episode ahead as we move into April with baseball opening day less than a week away. I mean, the NFL draft is upcoming this month. The Masters tournament is this month as well. Final Four basketball starts literally literally today, Saturday, April 2nd, where we get number two ranked Duke taking on number eight seed North Carolina for the first time in the history of the tournament these two teams will be facing off. That's incredible for all the matchups we've seen in the regular season for these two. This is the first one that we're going to get to see in the March Madness tournament-style bracket. In Coach K's time with Duke, there, this will be the 100th meeting between the two programs, and the record right now between the two at 99 games is Coach K and Duke 50 wins, North Carolina 49 wins. I mean, seriously, this was just written for Coach K. It's unbelievable. And if he wins and moves on to the championship game, he'll tie John Wooden for the most championship appearances at 10. He's currently at 9. I mean, that's the nightcap for the Final Four tonight. Just everything. I mean, he gets his 100th tournament win. Now can he tie? That's most in men's, I believe, men's college basketball tournament history. He can tie for the most championship appearances. Can he get his sixth tournament? I mean, it just all seems to be coming up Coach K, it looks like, so far for basketball. That's the nightcap tonight. Duke versus North Carolina. The opener being number one Kansas versus number two Villanova. Villanova actually looking for its third championship since 2016 with Jay Wright. They won in 2016, also won in 2018. Kansas looking to get back into the championship game for the first time since 2012 when they lost to Kentucky and Anthony Davis and that team. All four of these teams left have at least three championship wins, which is the first time in tournament history that the Final Four has all four of their teams with that many championships. I mean, there's just incredible basketball ahead this weekend. You can't miss it. Lots coming up great in, in April. I'm very, I mean, for all we love about March, April is, is pretty great as well for sports when it comes to, to what we have ahead. And what I want to get to today, um, I mean, we've got World Cup draw that, that just came out this past weekend as well. So I'll, I'll get to that as well. But what I want to start doing is I want to look at every team and kind of what their their team needs are approaching the NFL draft, where they stand through free agency right now, what's something that they need to focus on. They don't play on Sundays for another couple months, so we're, there, there's no panic for these teams. But what's something that each team still needs to improve on? What's something that they're, What are some of the holes and some of the things that they can patch up before the season starts? I want to do that, and I'm going to start with the NFC North in this episode, and then we'll also end up with some basketball as the season. I believe we're down to five games remaining in the NBA season, so we'll talk about the end of the NBA season as well. All right, so let's get started here. We're starting with the NFC North. Some of the team needs leading up to the 2022 NFL Draft. I mean, we'll see where each team's roster kind of stands at this point and what are some of the options they still have to improve their teams, including the draft. There's still a ton of free agency options. Like I said, long time until they have to play on Sundays. So just because a team hasn't done as much yet doesn't mean they still can't vastly improve their teams before the kickoff of the 2022 NFL season. We'll start with the Green Bay Packers, of course, why wouldn't we? So let's take a look. Green Bay, big picture right now. Some of their big losses this offseason, obviously, Devontae Adams being traded to the Las Vegas Raiders. Almost said Oakland. i got to get that out of here. 
Devontae Adams being traded to the Las Vegas Raiders. Billy Turner, their starting right tackle, was cut for salary cap purposes. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, free agent signs with the Kansas City Chiefs. Zadarius Smith, cut for salary cap purposes. Lucas Patrick, their starting offensive guard, been injured a couple of times. He signs elsewhere. Chandon Sullivan, one of their rotational secondary pieces, he also signs elsewhere. Some additions to the Green Bay Packers. They re-sign Robert Tunyon. They sign Jerron Reed, a defensive tackle to be a rotational piece, along with Kenny Clark. They were able to keep Aaron Rodgers, keep Devondre Campbell, keep Rasul Douglas. They sign a new punter in Pat O'Connell. I think he was with the Bears formerly. So just a, so a few additions there. Some of the biggest needs I see for this team. Obviously, wide receivers got to be up there as number one, losing the number one wide receiver in Devontae Adams, losing your second wide receiver in Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Haven't done a lot to replace it yet. We'll get to that in just a second. Also, they need another edge rusher. They lost to Darius Smith. Their depth is kind of minimal behind Preston Smith and Rashawn Gary in that area. They also need O-line. Like I said, they lost their starting right tackle. They lost another key contributor in Lucas Patrick. Elgin Jenkins, one of their starting offensive linemen, had a major injury last season. Not sure if he's going to be able to start the season. So there's another need at depth at the offensive line to protect Aaron Rodgers. Here's some of the assets that the Green Bay Packers have. They have 11 draft picks in this draft. Two first-rounders, two second-rounders, a third-rounder, two fourth-rounders, and then, of course, some later picks as well. That's tied for the second most in the NFL draft this year with 11 draft picks. They have about $15 million in cap space, but you've got to remember with this cap space that a lot of these teams, they might have 20 30 maybe $10 million in cap space. They need to. This cap space will count what they need for rookies. So just because they have $15 million in cap space doesn't mean they can go and sign $15 million in cap space, whereas of players, they still need to have, they can't be at zero by the time the draft comes. They need to be able to sign their rookie class. So just because it says $15 million doesn't mean they can, they actually have $15 million in cap space. you got to account a large portion of that for the draft. So going back to what I thought the Packers' biggest need on this team was, trading Devontae Adams and losing MVS leaves that glaring hole at wide receiver. Here are some of their remaining options and what the Packers could do. We'll take a quick look, and then we'll discuss what I think might be the best option for the Packers. So, free agents still available. Odell Beckham Jr., but coming off of an ACL injury. Julio Jones, kind of a declining couple past two years with the Falcons and then the Titans. He's a free agent. Jarvis Landry, cut by the Browns. Will Fuller, a free agent. Cole Beasley, cut by the Buffalo Bills. A.J. Green is another option. There's other guys out there as well. Deshaun Jackson, etc. So those are some free agent options. In the draft, There, this is a deep draft at receiver. So the Packers aren't prisoned to take one in the first round. These are some early options that I'm going to give you right here. But there's others that exist in later rounds that might be able to contribute to the team. But like I said, these, these need guys that can step up and be number one receivers right now. So I'm just going to give you some of the top guys right off the bat. you got Chris Olave and... Garrett Wilson out of Ohio State. You got Drake London, the big receiver out of USC. Traylon Burks out of Arkansas. Jamison Williams from Alabama. Sky Moore from Western Michigan. Christian Watson out of North Dakota State. You got Jahan Dotson 
out of Penn State. Those are just some of the big names. But like I said, this is a deep draft, so maybe the Packers, I mean, if they come away from the first round and they don't draft a wide receiver, maybe they've got a plan of taking someone in the second round if someone drops, if they like a guy early in the second round. They aren't prison to taking a guy in the first round, but they are going to need some guy to step up and be a big-time contributor in his rookie season. Do they believe that could be someone in the second round, maybe even in the third round? I mean, there's guys in the later rounds like David Bell, Alec Pierce out of Cincinnati. There's John Michi, another wide receiver out of Alabama. These guys could be third round, uh, maybe late second round guys that the Packers like as well. So if they don't grab one of these first round guys, there's still a bunch of other wide receivers that they could look at. But those are just some of the top guys right there. Then they also have a few trade options if they want to go that route. There's DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett from Seattle. Those are probably the best options on the trade market right now, but those come with, there's there's other factors that come with these trade options, like DK Metcalf. If you trade for DK Metcalf, you're also going to have to give him a brand new contract, which is something they didn't do with Devontae Adams, not necessarily because they weren't willing. Devontae Adams wanted to go play for Las Vegas, but are they willing to spend 22 to 25 million on a wide receiver like DK Metcalf? Tyler Lockett has a contract already. They got to fit that into the cap space. While they might be great fits for Green Bay, those are just other stipulations that they have to keep in mind. Brandon Cooks from Houston could be a guy. He's been a thousand yard receiver almost every year he's been in the league, still a young wide receiver. Devontae Parker from Miami is possibly on the trade block since they recently traded for Tyreek Hill. They've got Tyreek Hill. Jalen Waddell, Mike Kosicki, they got a bunch of guys in that room. Is Devontae Parker a guy possibly expendable for them? Deontay Johnson and Chase Claypool from Pittsburgh. Young guys, one of them a possession receiver, Deontay Johnson, similar to that of Devontae Adams, not to the caliber yet. A very young, very promising wide receiver, Chase Claypool, big, deep threat kind of wide receiver. Pittsburgh, could they be looking to move one of these guys? I mean, they have a good record of drafting wide receivers and developing them, like these two right here. They no longer have Ben Roethlisberger going in a different direction with Mitchell Trubisky. Those, that could be an option. Corey Davis from the New York Jets is another one, a big wide receiver that could uh, be of interest to the Packers. It just depends what they're willing to give up in draft capital is what you'd see them do possibly in a trade. For a DK Metcalf type, that would probably cost them a first rounder, maybe their 28th overall selection, maybe and a fourth rounder or something like that. Tyler Lockett could be a second or third round pick that it costs. Brandon Cook, same thing. Devontae Parker, maybe a third or fourth rounder that it costs him. Deontay Johnson in that second, maybe close to first round range with how good he's been. It just depends on what the Packers are willing to spend to trade for one of these guys. But you but you got to remember, it's not just the draft capital. You don't want to trade for a guy if you're going to give him a lot of draft capital. You don't want to trade for him and have him for one year. So if some of these guys are, are on the last year of their contract, they might want to extend some of these guys as well. That's what comes with trading for some of these guys. So with all these options, think about what Matt LaFleur just said this past weekend or this past week at the NFL owners meeting. They're going to want to add speed to their wide receiver room. They don't have a ton of speed right now. Alan Lazard, not a speed guy. Randall Cobb, not necessarily a speed guy anymore. Amari Rogers wasn't a speed guy coming out of college. They're going to want to add speed. Guys like a Will Fuller, 
that's a speed guy. DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, Brandon Cooks, those are kind of speed guys. In the draft, you got guys like Christian Watson out of North Dakota State. That's a speed guy. Jamison Williams, that's a speed guy coming out of Alabama. Chris Olave, Garrett Wilson, those are sub 4440 speed guys at their combine. But the thing, too, with the Packers is, yes, they want a speed guy, but they also ask their wide receivers to block. You don't necessarily have to be a great blocker. Devontae Adams wasn't a great blocker. You've got to be a willing blocker. You've got to be able to just stand in front of a guy for these wide receiver screens, for these running back screens, for these wheel routes. That's what they ask of their wide receivers. So when you look at these guys, are they at least willing blockers? If these guys aren't even interested in blocking, it's probably not something that the Packers are going to look for in a wide receiver. So while all Packers fans might be fawning over Chris Olave being the next Green Bay Packer, look at the tape and see if he's a willing blocker, see if he is a capable blocker as well. Just because maybe he shows up and maybe you see that he's not great at blocking, but if he's willing, the Packers can coach him on how to be a better blocker. But as long as he's willing, I think that's something that the Packers will look at in their wide receivers. DK Metcalf might not be a great blocker, but he is the biggest guy on the outside of the field, outside of the linemen down there. He is a capable blocker. So that's something that the Packers would have to instill in him if that was an option for them to trade. So that's just something that you have to look at for the Packers in terms of wide receiver. Matt LaFleur has said this. Brian Gutekinds has said this. Even Mark Murphy has said this. The wide receiver room right now obviously doesn't look great with Alan Lazard, Randall Cobb, and Amari Rodgers going in with Aaron Rodgers into the season. But they've all said, our wide receiver room will look vastly different, I'm sure, come September when we have to play football. They don't have to play football for a couple of months. It's okay to wait. It's nothing to panic about when it comes to the look of their wide receiver room right now. They have a plenty of time. There's a draft. They're still, like I said, free agent options out there Odell Beckham Jr. if they were willing to take that risk with his injury and that ACL Julio Jones AJ Green are proven veterans they might be on the decline a little bit but maybe it's something they can get them on the cheap and see if they can get maybe a really good season out of them Will Fuller is that speed guy that the Packers had interest in two years ago we'll see my preference for the Green Bay Packers what they would do at the wide receiver position Draft a guy early. Draft like a Chris Olave, a Christian Watson early in this draft, whether it's the 22nd pick or the 28th pick. Have one of those top eight guys that we've been seeing in all of these draft experts' top prospects in their mock drafts. I would like that. But then also either sign one of these big, not big names, but like a Will Fuller for the speed. Maybe a Julio Jones if you can get him on a nice deal. Or trade for one of these guys like a Brandon Cooks, a Corey Davis, a Devontae Parker. I don't know. If if they do end up trading for, say, a DK Metcalf, one, you're going to have to pay him then close to $25 million per year. Two, then it, I think it takes away from drafting another receiver in the first round. So it's just would they rather – I mean, DK Metcalf's still only like 24 years old, so he's still very young. Packers like when they draft, they draft these very young guys that are super athletic that they can then coach into their system. So that's up to the Packers there, but my preference would be grab a young wide receiver early in the first round, a Chris Olave, a Christian Watson, maybe a Garrett Wilson if he falls down there, someone like that. Then you can sign one of these guys in free agency like 
a Julio, a Will Fuller, or trade less draft capital for a Devontae Parker, a Corey Davis, you know, a Brandon Cook, something like that, and then also fill out the rest of your wide receiver room later in the draft. Fourth round, they have two picks there. Maybe an Alec Pierce falls down there. A David Bell, possibly. Maybe in the third round, you you take a John Michi, something like that. I don't necessarily think they need to swing for the fences with like a DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett type trade. It's definitely an option, but you get a young guy like Chris Olave, a Christian Watson, you add a guy like Will Fuller, and you add a guy like Devontae Parker, Corey Davis. That looks like a pretty good wide receiver room then where you go Chris Olave, you got Alan Lazard, you got Corey Davis, you got Will Fuller, and you got Randall Cobb, and then you got Amari Rodgers as well. That's not a half-bad-looking wide receiver room then at that point, but it's something that the Packers will have to look forward to or have to improve on before the season starts. A lot of time, of course, before the season starts. Other areas of need for Green Bay to improve this roster to get them back to that perennial Super Bowl contender on the likes of right now. It's the Buffalo Bills, the Los Angeles Rams, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Those are guys that are, are near the top right now. The Kansas City Chiefs maybe are still near the top of this list of the top Super Bowl contenders. Other areas of need for Green Bay to fill out the rest of this ro- roster. Defensive line, like I mentioned, you got to get someone to help. You got to get someone to help Kenny Clark and someone to help stop the run up the middle, please. It's just been a weakness for this Packers team. We've seen it in the playoffs against the 49ers a couple times now. Options in the draft. I mean, they did sign Jerron Reed. That's great. But options in the draft to get younger. You got Jordan Davis. You got out of Georgia, Devontae Wyatt out of Georgia. You got Boy Mafe from Minnesota, Travis Jones from UConn. You got David Ajobo from Michigan. He just recently tore his Achilles in his pro day, so his stock might be dropping a little bit. You got Jermaine Johnson out of Florida State, Arnold Ibike from Penn State. These are some edge rushers, defensive linemen that you can help improve that room behind both Kenny Clark and then also on your edge rushers where you have Preston Smith, Rashawn Gary. You don't have a lot of depth behind those guys. You got to rebuild that room as well. And then also, like I said, offensive line. Like I said, they let go of Billy Turner and Lucas Patrick signed elsewhere. They need an offensive lineman to help protect Aaron Rodgers, give him a little time. He might not have a guy like Devontae Adams where he can just look at. They can do a quick throw to get the ball out quick. He might hang on to the ball a little bit longer. Unless, of course, they're, they're going to scheme their offense, hopefully, where it maybe it runs through the running backs a little bit more. That'd be nice to see. But offensive lineman is definitely still a need for this Packers team with the lack of depth. I don't think they have the starting right tackle on their team to start week one right now. I don't think Elgin Jenkins will be ready for week one. Yash Neiman, I mean, he's been they've been just prepping him to be a backup left tackle. I'm not sure if he can be the everyday starting right tackle, but who knows? But that is something that needs to be addressed. You got guys like Trevor Penning out of Northern Iowa, Charles Cross out of Mississippi State, Zion Johnson out of Boston College, Kenyon Green out of Texas A&M, Tyler Smith, Abraham Lucas, Darian Kinnard, guys galore. But what what, what the Packers look for in offensive linemen, first they look young. Everybody's been mocking this Bernard Raymond, I believe out of, where is he out of Central Michigan possibly? He's 25 years old. Packers are looking for guys 20 and younger when they're drafting in the first round, in their first two rounds. That's not a guy they're going to take. They want someone 
that's young, that's incredibly athletic. Look at their past first-round picks. That's who they're looking for when it comes to guys that they want along just anywhere in this team. They want athletes that are young, that have time to still grow and be great now, but get, get better as they play for the Packers in their first four to five years. Those are some things, some areas that the Packers need to improve on before the season starts. We'll see what, I mean, they've got plenty of time, like I said, plenty of draft capital, like I said, 11 draft picks, a lot of time to improve this team. Just something to keep in mind of. If you look at their depth chart right now, like I said, right now they have Elgin Jenkins as their starting right tackle. And he had a major knee injury near the end of last season. So you're not even sure if he'll be ready. Royce Newman at their right guard struggled. That could be a spot of, of competition on this team. Then you look at the defensive side. Like I said, defensive line, they got Dean Lowry at left defensive end, Jaron Reed at right defensive end. You're going to need some more depth behind those guys or maybe even someone to compete with a Dean Lowry at that left defensive end. And then behind Preston Smith and Rashawn Gary, you got Tipa Galea and you got Jonathan Garvin as your two backup outside linebacking rushers, your edge rushers. I mean, what if one of those guys goes down? All of a sudden you're relying on one of these very young guys that hasn't been proven yet to be on this team. So a couple of depth positions and holes to fill on this roster for the Green Bay Packers going forward. All right. Up next, we've got the Chicago Bears. Some of their big losses this year, they've had Khalil Mack traded, Allen Robinson signing elsewhere, Tariq Cohen, Eddie Coleman, Eddie Goldman, excuse me, Akeem Hicks, Andy Dalton, all leaving in free agency or being cut. I believe Cohen and Eddie Goldman were cut. They've signed a couple guys, Byron Pringle, the wide receiver from Kansas City, Lucas Patrick from the Packers, Trevor Simeon to be the backup quarterback. Some of their assets, they have six draft picks, no first-rounder because they traded up for Justin Fields last year. They got two second-round picks, a third-round pick, and some later ones. $16.5 million in cap space. And for me, their biggest need, wide receiver, offensive line, cornerback. I mean, they got a whole new regime in Chicago from GM Ryan Poles, Coming from Kansas City, new head coach Matt Eberflus, former defensive coordinator of the Indianapolis Colts, offensive coordinator Luke Getze, former quarterbacks coach for Green Bay. I mean, the build, the Bears are in a quick rebuild, and they, they have their quarterback in Justin Fields now. We've seen the potential with him. Now they just need to build around him. I mean, he's going to need more weapons than just Darnell Mooney as his number one receiver and Byron Pringle and Equinemius St. Brown that they signed from the Packers. They're going to need another guy now that Allen Robinson is gone as well. I mean, could be something for them to look at in the second round at pick 39 or pick 48. I mean, a Jahan Dotson could fall there. A Sky Moore could be an option there. A Christian Watson could be an option for them as well. Got to build around Justin Fields. And you also have to project, protect excuse me, Justin Fields so he has a clean pocket to work with. I mean, offensive line has kind of been a problem for the Chicago Bears these past couple of years. Tevin Jenkins, their second-round pick, Last year, out of, I believe it was Oklahoma State, was injured for most of last season. Hopefully he can stay healthy and protect Justin Fields. But that's their biggest thing right now is making sure Justin Fields has the ability to progress and get better instead of regressing in his second year. Hopefully he can continue to grow. Otherwise, it's just another wasted quarterback in, in Chicago. And we'll see if they can get it right with Justin Fields new in the new regime with Ryan Poles, Matt Eberflus, and Luke Getze. But for me, that's their biggest thing is continue to build around Justin Fields to make sure this team is going in the right direction offensively. I think Matt Eberflus will be fine with this defense. 
got to make sure this offense is, is going in the right direction with Justin Fields. All right. Detroit Lions up next. Some of their big losses, Trey Flowers, cut him for salary cap purposes. In addition, they added DJ Chark, wide receiver from the Jacksonville Jaguars. Mike Hughes, a cornerback. Gerard Davis, they brought back at linebacker. They have nine draft picks this year. They have the number two overall pick. They have two first-round picks at number two and number 32. They have a second. They have two-thirds and then some, some later draft picks. And then they have $18 million in cap space. Their biggest needs, they have, they're still in rebuilding mode. I mean, they, they need some help along the defensive line and their edge rushing position. Cornerback, I mean, this team gives up, they, they were giving up a ton of points and yards just both all over this defense. They need help everywhere. And then, of course, they still need a franchise quarterback. But they're stuck with Jared Goff at quarterback for at least one more year with his contract, with the guaranteed money and the dead cap money that would do. I think that Detroit is in a good position to take the best players available with most of their picks to build up this roster. And then next year, I think it's a much better quarterback draft class. They can take a guy like Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud. I don't think anybody's expecting the Detroit Lions to contend for a playoff spot this year. They could be another team that's still around five wins, four wins, maybe six wins is what they can get to. That's still going to be near the top of the draft class next year as well. And then they can try and grab a guy like a Bryce Young out of Alabama or a C.J. Stroud. These guys look great in college right now. These are much better prospects than what's coming out of this year's draft class. Not a lot of buzz about Kenny Pickett, Malik Willis, about Desmond Ritter, uh, Matt Corral, Sam Howell. These guys aren't nearly the type of prospects that Bryce Young, C.J. Stroud are for your franchise quarterback. Maybe then what the Detroit Lions can do is build the rest of this roster, get a great defensive lineman at, with that number two overall pick, get a weapon with that 32nd overall pick, like a Traylon Burks on the offense for the wide receiver, fill out that wide receiver room. Then next year when, when the draft comes around, if you have a top five pick, remember they'll have two first-round picks next year as well because of this Matthew Stafford trade. If you have a top five pick, maybe you can get a guy like Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud, or even if you need to, trade up into the number one or the number two overall pick to grab, to make sure you get one of these guys. You get your franchise quarterback next year because you're not going to you're going to start Jared Goff this year with his contract and obviously with his pedigree over some of these newer younger rookies that that aren't necessarily at the top of the prospect pool. For Detroit, build this roster and then boom, add your franchise quarterback next year, and I think your rebuild is is well underway. Then, build the rest of this roster up. Let Jared Goff still be the quarterback this year. Get your quarterback next year. That's that's my best advice, and this is of course just coming from me, but that's what I would like to see the Detroit Lions do. All right. Lastly, the Minnesota Vikings—they've kind of been stuck in neutral, kind of stuck in the middle of the pack of the NFL for a couple of years now. Let's talk about their offseason really quick so far. Big losses. They lost Tyler Conklin, the tight end, Xavier Woods, Michael Pierce, the defensive tackle. Some big additions. They took there they signed Zadarius Smith from the Green Bay Packers to a big deal. Harrison Phillips, Chandon Sullivan, Jordan Hicks, the linebacker from Arizona. They have eight draft picks. They have their own first, second, and third rounder, and they have about a twelve million in cap space. So some of their biggest needs, cornerback. They need a tight end on this offensive line, uh, on this offense as well, and then defensive line and edge rusher. I mean, they did just sign to Darius Smith, but he only played one game all of last season, so you're not sure 
If that's something you can rely on, always good to have a bevy of edge rushers and run stoppers up the middle there. They have a new head coach in Kevin O'Connell and a new GM in Minnesota. And like I said, they just seem to be stuck in the middle. And how do they get out of that rut? I mean, that's their biggest thing. They have high-level caliber players on this all over this roster. Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen at wide receiver, Dalvin Cook at running back, Daniil Hunter, and Zadaria Smith at the pass rushing positions. Harrison Smith at the safety position. Delvin Tomlinson is a pretty good defensive lineman. Christian Derisaw is a nice left tackle piece. Eric Kendricks is a middle linebacker that they, they, they have that's, that's a really good player. The question that we seem to ask ourselves is, can they win with Kirk Cousins? And the new head coach thinks so, and they're at least stuck with him for one more year and the next year probably because of the fully guaranteed contract that he has. So if, if, they're, if, they're, if they don't think the problem is the quarterback, where can they improve this team? What's the biggest thing that they can improve to get them stuck, to get them out of the rut that they're in, which is like the middle of the pack where they're always around seven and what is it? No, it's seven and ten now, or eight and nine, or nine and eight around that area. Ten and seven sometimes maybe is what they could be, but they're always around that. They're never higher than maybe ten wins, and they're never lower than maybe like six or seven wins. How do they get out of that middle to get back into the playoffs where they were? What was that? Twenty sixteen with the Minnesota Miracle and stuff like that, but that was without Kirk Cousins. How do they get back out of that? I mean, with they have the 12th overall pick. Maybe a guy that's around in that area is a Derek Stingley Jr., the cornerback from LSU. But this is one of those picks that's risky. I mean, we've seen the tape where his freshman year, this looks like the number one cornerback prospect in years. And then his sophomore and junior years, he declined a little bit. Which kind of guy are you going to get there? But if they don't think the quarterback is the problem, which they don't, others, like myself, might... <laughs> Where else can they improve this team to get them out of the middle? That's what they have to look at on this team. How do we get out of this rut that we're in, which is the middle of the pack of the NFL? You're always picking between, you're always picking in the teens, between 12 and maybe like 19. That's where they always seem to be picking in this draft. How do they get out of the middle of the pack here is what the Minnesota Vikings have to look at. Like I said, they have a lot of talented players all over this roster. Now it's just it's about getting into the playoffs and going further. We'll see what they can do. But that's kind of my preview and look at the NFC North. Hopefully it helps you you take a look at what some of these teams' needs are, what's what they've lost and what they've already gained in this offseason, and what's still available for some of these guys. Like I said, long time until football is played, but just some of the holes and some of the needs that these teams need to do and kind of what I think these teams outlooks should be like what they what they think would be a successful season for them like I said Green Bay get back to that top of the Super Bowl contenders list and that's filling out that wide receiver room Chicago make sure you continue to progress with Justin Fields don't make don't don't be the reason he takes a step back make sure he's the reason he takes a step forward the Lions build the rest of this roster so that you're ready for the quarterback next year because you're stuck with Jared Goff this year and then the Minnesota Vikings Get out of the rut. You're stuck in the middle of the pack right now. Get out of there. Whatever it takes. Obviously, it looks like you're stuck with Kirk Cousins, and they think that's good. They want to be stuck with Kirk Cousins. Figure out what it is then to get you out of the middle of the pack. All right. Moving on quickly here. We're in the final days of the NBA playoffs. 
I mean, just taking a look at the standings right now, right now we have the Brooklyn Nets tied for eighth place. They could go all the way down to 10th in this in this playoff format, which means they would at best get the, ninth, the eighth seed. They'd have to play two play-in games. I mean, we, right now we've got the Los Angeles Lakers with five games remaining, one game out of the playoffs completely. We've got the Miami Heat, the Milwaukee Bucks, and the Boston Celtics all clinching playoff berths so far in the Eastern Conference. And then we got the Phoenix Suns, Memphis Grizzlies, and Dallas Mavericks clinching playoffs so far in the Western Conference. But one thing I want to talk about is Giannis Antetokounmpo's late MVP push. I mean, Giannis in back-to-back games right now, 40-point games, 40-plus point games. I think he had 42 against the Brooklyn Nets. But against the Philadelphia 76ers, with another MVP candidate in Joel Embiid, and then against the Brooklyn Nets with a top five NBA player in Kevin Durant. He made two of the biggest plays this season to win those games for Milwaukee, and this just helps your case as an MVP frontrunner when you make these kinds of plays late in the season on nationally televised games, of course. He had a game-saving block at the buzzer against Joel Embiid. Everybody first thought that it was a goaltending foul, Go back to the replay, and it was a very clean block. Saves the game for for the Bucks in a close one against the Philadelphia 76ers. Giannis also with 40 points, and he blocks Joel Embiid, another MVP front runner, to win that game. Then, a couple days later, against the Brooklyn Nets, game tying step back three pointer for Giannis Antetokounmpo. Are you kidding me? For Giannis, the guy that said he can't sh- for everybody that said he can't shoot. I mean, he's proven everybody wrong right now with that. He hits a game-tying three-pointer to send it into overtime against the Brooklyn Nets, where they eventually win that game. That game-tying three also puts him past Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for the most points in Milwaukee Bucks history. That's something that is taken into consideration when you're voting for MVP. A late-season push, a late-season with these big games against MVP candidates like Joel Embiid and etc., You've also got historical presence in terms of what he's done this season. It could be the entire season. It could be for your franchise. It could be in the history of the NBA. This hasn't been done. We saw that with Russell Westbrook when he did when he averaged a triple-double. Nikola Jokic and Giannis in their first MVPs as well. The historic efficiency. But now Giannis also passing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for most points in franchise history. I mean, Giannis is making... An incredible push for his third MVP in what would it be his third MVP in five years? Third MVP in four years? Either way, incredible. Right now, my MVP rankings, it goes Giannis at one, Luka Doncic at two. He's got the Dallas Mavericks at third in the Western Conference without another all-star on his team. It's just Luka Doncic as the all-star on this on this team. A lot of other great role players, Spencer Dinwiddie, you got Tim Hardaway Jr. I believe I'm missing someone as well. The guy Jalen Brunson coming off the bench. So they got good role players. But Luka is averaging almost 30 points a game. He's also his record against these other MVP candidates like Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic, Devin Booker, and Giannis. He's, I believe, 7-2 and two against in games where these teams match up. So Luka Doncic is second on my MVP ballot. Th- I don't have one, of course, but this is just me <laughs> speculating. For third, I have a tie with Devin Booker and Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid, I mean, they just lost. He just got outplayed and outmatched by Giannis in a game. And then they also just lost to a 
kind of an embarrassing one to the Detroit Pistons. And I mean, Joel Embiid, James Harden not having their best games. So I have a tie with Devin Booker, the number one seed, the number one team, excuse me, in the NBA with the Phoenix Suns. What are they at? They have like 65 wins. They have 62 wins. They have an eight-game lead over second place. It's not even close. So I have Devin Booker tied with Joel Embiid for third. And then Nikola Jokic, I have fifth. I mean, they're, they are a game away from being in the play-in tournament. I mean, it's great what he's doing and all, but all these bizarre stats that I don't understand that are taken into consideration, and I'm sure they mean a lot. But when your team is sixth in the Western Conference and just a game away from being in the play-in tournament, I mean, I don't know how that, that can't be taken into consideration. So I don't know. But Giannis and the Bucks, they are the number two seed. I think they're half a game away from the number one seed in the Eastern Conference. So best team in his conference. He's got, I think he's second in the NBA in 30.1 points per game scoring average. Also, like I just said, he's got the historical pre- presence of passing Kareem Abdul-Jabbar for most points in Bucks franchise history. He's had these two massive games back-to-back near the end of the season against the Philadelphia 76ers and the Brooklyn Nets, who everyone still seems to think has a chance at winning the national champion or the, the NBA championship, which I don't think is the case. But everybody still is giving them a puncher's chance for some reason. Either way, Giannis making a late MVP push in the NBA's final days. Five games left in the regular season until we get to the postseason. We'll see if the Lakers make it. We'll see where the Nets are at, whether they can even make it out of the play-in tournament. Lots to be done in these last five games, and then we got the play-in tournament, of course. Should be a lot of fun. All right, final thought here on this episode of the final, final podcast. World Cup draw was just happened this past Friday, so yesterday, yeah, yesterday, April 1st, April Fool's Day. This is no joke, though. <laughs> USA draws into Group B for World Cup play after qualifying on Wednesday when they lost to Costa Rica but still qualified into the World Cup. Group B will consist of England, the International Republic of Iran, USA, and then the Europe play-in game, which is between Wales, Scotland, and Ukraine. So, I mean, U.S., they, they, they have a path to advance out of the group stage. Now they know who they're facing, kind of. I mean, these play-in games between Wales Scotland and Ukraine don't happen until June, but they can begin preparing now. I mean, their group could have been much worse. They could have been in a group such as with Argentina, with Brazil, with who else am I thinking of right now? Who else had a really tough draw? I mean, France, the the defending champion, France could have been, they could have had France in their group as well. Spain is another really good team that they could have been drawn with. Belgium is probably one of the better teams in in this World Cup right now. But USA, they have a path in their group. This is their schedule for the group play. November 21st in 2022, they'll play the winner of those play-in games. It'll either be Wales, Scotland, or Ukraine. So November 21st, that's their first game. November 25th, I believe, is Black Friday, the day after Thanksgiving. It's a Friday. They'll play England. Of course, everybody's eyes will be on that England game. And then November 29th, they'll play the International Republic of Iran. They're in Group B. They, like I said, they, there is a path out to get to that round of 16. 
for the USA. This is very exciting stuff. I mean, after watching the reaction of them missing the World Cup in 2018 with, I mean, Christian Pulisic, I mean, was it, I think, Clint Dempsey and some of these older guys like Landon Donovan were still, or maybe not Landon Donovan, but Clint Dempsey. I'm missing one guy that I can't think of that was also on the team, just missing out on this opportunity. It's just, I mean, it happens only once every four years. But now here they are qualifying for the World Cup with a group that obviously it's nothing is given at this point, right? I mean, like I said, the group could have been much worse. They could have been placed in one with Brazil, with Argentina, with Spain, with France, the defending champion, with Belgium. They get England, who they have some familiarity with, and there's a way out of this group into getting into that round of 16. So we'll see how it goes. All starts in November. There's still going to be some friendlies ahead of them that they can prepare for when the World Cup matches come up. But all right, very exciting stuff for the USA in terms of the World Cup draw. And now my final, final thought on today's episode of the final, final podcast. The NFL adopts a new overtime rule and it's just for the postseason each team now will have an offensive possession in overtime this is just for the playoffs so for example what happened to josh allen in the buffalo bills last postseason versus the chiefs josh allen would now get a chance to respond my initial thoughts on this new overtime rule i like it i mean as a packer fan we've seen many of times where aaron Rodgers has carried an offensive packers squad into the postseason tied them up with a team. I mean, I'm not I don't want to bring up 2014 against the Seahawks. There was many other problems with that game, but in overtime, the Seahawks went right down, scored a touchdown. Aaron Rodgers doesn't get a chance. So, as a Packer fan, obviously we've been on the wrong end of the Josh Allen type postseasons where you don't get a chance to respond in overtime with the sudden death. But what I like about this too, so both teams get an offensive possession. The thing that'll make it interesting now is our team's going to start going for two with both with both teams getting a guaranteed offensive possession. This is just in the playoffs. After both teams get an offensive possession, if it's still tied, then it goes to that sudden death, which we've been at already. So what that means with your first possession is it no longer necessarily just lives and dies by the coin toss who gets the ball first but the question is if you get the ball first and you score a touchdown are you now going to go for two and if you get it now that just puts so much more pressure on the other team for if they score a touchdown to also get a two are you going to kick the extra point because then if you're the second team that gets the ball in overtime now you're down seven you score a touchdown are you going to go for the win so that it doesn't go to sudden death by going for two? Are you going to go for the tie with the extra point? If you go for two, you're either going for the win, or if you don't get it, it's a loss. And it's just going to bring up so many of these great scenarios. I think it's great. I love that it's also just for the playoffs right now because in the regular season, teams, players, nobody wants these regular season, except for the fans maybe, wants these regular season games to drag on. A lot of these, I mean, it's a 17 regular game season. It's a long season. you got to play the next week. Obviously, when it's win or go home for the playoffs, you'll play as long as you need to to keep, to keep trying advancing. But in the regular season, I like that it's still going to be this sudden death thing. And I'm, I don't think it has been as big of a problem in the regular season as it has been in the postseason when it comes to this disparity between winning the coin toss and winning the game. So I love it for the playoffs. 
I like that it's now going to bring up the opportunity or the discussion of should you go for two? Should you go for the seven points? And then when you're the second team, do you go for the win or do you go for the tie? If you're the second team that scores the touchdown, that's what I'm most excited to see come up when it comes to this new overtime rule. I like it. I like the fact that both teams get an option and we get to see even better football. Somehow it somehow gets even better for the playoffs in football. And everybody said, well, you had 60 minutes and you had an extra possession to try and stop. It's like, all right, we get that. But you know what? Now we're here. Let's just still try to give it a competitive, fair advantage in overtime. You can say you had 60 minutes to stop them. That's great. It didn't happen. Now let's just boil it down to these next 10 minutes that they have in overtime, all right? I don't I don't like hearing that argument. I get it. Yeah, you had 60 minutes, but it just, you know what? Here we are in overtime. Everybody wants to see both offenses. It's an offensive league. Wants to see both offenses with a chance. Nobody liked seeing Josh Allen. I mean, Josh Allen doesn't control the defense. And I know it's a team sport, and you got the defense has got to be able to stop them. But everybody wants to see both teams get a shot at scoring. And then, of course, the Cincinnati Bengals had to go and ruin it when they won in overtime by not getting the ball first. Way to go. <laughs> but all right, that's all I have for you on this episode of the Final Final Podcast. Next week, we'll be talking about another division in the NFL. Maybe we'll just go over to the AFC North, NFC North, AFC North. We'll talk about the Bengals, Browns, Steelers, and Ravens, see what their off-seasons kind of look like and what they have to look forward to going towards the NFL draft. Also, we'll be able to talk about the final four matchups and the championship. The championship will be this Monday, this upcoming Monday, and I'll probably be doing my podcast on Tuesday. So we'll talk about who our NCAA 2022 March Madness champion will be. And then the Masters is coming up, and I'm sure we'll have more football to talk about as well. All right, that's all I have for you on this episode. Thanks for tuning in. Stay safe out there. And as always, you're listening to The Final Final.